All right, so um, we actually, over the last three weeks, have kind of been, um, we, we did a Reformation Sunday sermon and a, uh, a persecuted church, and uh, last week Dave preached, and now we're back in John's Gospel, okay? We're going to do it. We're going to get through it, all right? <laughs> and uh, today, we are beginning chapter 13 with the incident of Jesus washing the apostles' feet, all right? And do you know in the other Gospels, we are told that the apostles were arguing over something right before Jesus washes their feet. Do you know what they were arguing about? Who is the greatest? So they're talking about, I'm better than you, Peter. No, I'm better than you, John. I'm better, I'm, I'm. And Jesus washes their feet. What a rebuke, huh? So, um, here we go. John 13, I'm going to read the, the scripture first. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Give me a bath. I added that, all right. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And that, of course, he's talking about Judas, and next week we're going to talk about Judas. So it's not that we're skipping that this week. Well, we are skipping it this week, but we're going to cover it next week, okay? When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. All right, so today we're going to talk about foot washing. But I'm going to start kind of on a sidetrack here, and you'll see why I'm going there. Let me talk about baptism. If you were to watch somebody being baptized, lowered into water, raised out of water, and you were to say, well, what, what is the significance of that act of baptism? What, what's, what does it picture? I think most people would say, well, it's a picture of washing. I mean, it literally is being dunked in water, so it's a picture of our sins being washed away, right? And, and that would be right. But then, if I asked, is that all it is a picture of? And I think those who know their Bibles would think and go, well, I, I seem to remember somewhere in Romans, Paul talks about the death of Christ and baptism, and that would be Romans 6.3. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And we could also say that not only is baptism a picture of having our sins washed away, but it's a picture of us being united to Christ and his death. His death is our death. He died in our place. So baptism is a picture of washing and a picture of of being united into Christ's death. And then occasionally, we actually bring you out of the water, too. Right? So what would that be a picture of? Christ's resurrection. Right? So, one act, baptism, three pictures. Cleansing, death, resurrection. And you say, what, why did you bring that up? Let's talk about foot washing. Jesus washes the apostles' feet. You go, what's the point? Somebody says, well, we're supposed to serve one another. Ab absolutely. That's his last point. But before he makes that point, he makes two other points. Jesus gives us three lessons from one act. All right? First, first Peter says, no, no, not me. Don't, don't, you, you're, you're, I'm supposed to serve you, you're not supposed to serve me. And it takes humility to let Jesus serve you. So there's a lesson here about humility. He teaches that humility is needed for salvation. He, he then, uh, Peter, Peter goes on and he says, uh, well, all right, give me, give me a bath. And then Jesus says, no, no, you've already had a bath. You just need your feet washed. And there's a lesson there about our relationship with God. We, we need regular foot washing, regular confession, and how that fits together with salvation, we'll talk about that. But there's a lesson about salvation, a lesson about our ongoing relationship with Jesus. And then finally, there's a lesson about discipleship, that we are to follow Jesus as a disciple. We are to serve one another. He washes their feet. He says, now you go wash one another's feet. 
So, so let's begin by looking at the first point. Humility is needed for salvation. So he comes to, to Peter to wash Peter's dirty feet. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Okay. Now, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Now, a problem that a lot of people have is they want Jesus to be their Savior, to save them from hell. They're not that interested in following him as their Lord, though. Peter's got the opposite problem. He's all in for serving Jesus as his Lord, but he has some real difficulty letting Jesus serve him as his Savior. You know, there's, there's different reasons people struggle coming to Christ. Some, it's, I, I, I don't want to follow him as Lord. And others, I don't need a Savior. I'll serve him, but it's too humbling to say he should serve me. So, Jesus goes on to answer him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You can have nothing to do with me. What's, what's Jesus doing here? Well, he's using this degrading act of foot washing as a smaller picture of what he's going to do the next day on the cross. If serving by washing feet was degrading, imagine hanging in agony naked on a cross. And Jesus is saying, Peter, unless you let me serve you, first by washing your feet, and tomorrow by dying for your sins on the cross, you can't have anything to do with me. Again, many people reject Christianity because it involves being identified with a crucified, humiliated, serving God. We'll take a strong God. We'll take a powerful God. We'll take a super smart God. But this this. God who dies on a cross? I don't know that I want to be identified with that weakness. You know, Nietzsche, the German philosopher, um, he despised the weakness of Christianity. The God who would die on a cross and Christians who would forgive. And he influenced Hitler, right? Look where that led, okay? You know, on, uh, on Tuesday nights, the men have been going through 1 Corinthians. And if you read in between the lines, the Corinthians seemed to be embarrassed by being identified with a humble, dying Savior. So Paul begins in chapter 1. Did I include it? I didn't include it, did I? 
All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.22, Paul says this, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. Okay? Jews want miracles. They want a God of miracles who parts the Red Sea, who calls creation into order. That's the God we want. And Greeks want wisdom. They want somebody to come in and wax eloquently on Aristotle and Plato and the Stoics and intersperse their preaching with, with uh, the, the greats, the, the classic Greek philosophers. So Jews want signs. They want power miracles. Greeks want wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. I know what you want to hear. You want me to tell you how powerful Jesus is. And if you're on the Jesus team, you're on the power team. And you're on the smart team. But you know what my message is? Christ and him crucified. And Paul's saying, I know you don't want to hear it. I'm going to preach it anyways, and many of you are going to reject it. But that's the message that saves your soul. I'm not preaching an ear-tickling message. I could fill my churches, Paul would say, by telling people what they want to hear. But my message is about a crucified Savior. He goes on and he says, but to those who are called... You see, salvation involves an internal calling where God is drawing you to him. Right? But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I'm not going to play around in Greek philosophy, even though that would impress you. I'm going to just give you a really foolish, stupid message. You're a sinner. God died on a cross to pay for your sin. Believe in him, you'll be saved. That's it? That's your message? Yeah, that's our, that's, that's our message. Right? Yeah, but, 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 but this God, he's a power God, isn't it? Yeah, he created the world, but you know what he also did? He died on a cross. Your, your God died on a cross? I don't know that I want to be on that team. All right? It requires... Humility to say, I have nothing to offer God. I need to let him serve me. The crucified God, I need him to forgive me of my sin. And there's a character about Christianity that is also humble. You know, one reason we turn people off is we come across as arrogant. Now, we are right. We have the right God, the right Bible, the right morals, the right ethics. But don't let our rightness turn into self-righteousness. People can sniff that out. We have a God who humbly died on a cross. And we, 
It's not only the message, but it's the way we talk to people that matters. Okay? So, all that to say, the first lesson Peter needed to learn was not only should Peter serve Jesus, but he had to let Jesus serve him. Are you humble enough to say, yeah, I don't have anything to offer when it comes to earning my, my righteousness? I need you to save me. I need you to serve me. All right? That's the first lesson. Second lesson. Confession is needed for an ongoing relationship with the Lord. Okay? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Peter, you've already had a bath. You've already believed and are justified, declared righteous. You don't need to get re-justified. Justification is a one-time deal. What is justification? When you believe in Christ and God declares you forgiven and perfect. Okay? You don't need, you know, in some churches they they, they have the altar call after every, every sermon. And uh, they think you can lose your salvation. So there are people who've been saved 27, 37 times. They've been rebaptized seven or eight times. No, no, no. If you're truly saved, you're saved once. You're justified once. It's not a thing you can lose. Now, you may think you have it and you don't have it, okay? But you don't, you don't get re-justified, okay? Um, but he does seem to indicate that this foot washing is needed, not just once, but on a regular basis. Now, that raises an interesting question for a lot of people. How does justification, one-time justification, fit together with regular confession. Well, in fact, let, let's, let me show you the scriptures. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not to get too technical, but this... This is a, a, an aorist. It means uh, completed action. Therefore, since we have been justified, it's a done deal. So you know what you have? You have ongoing peace with God. But then when you read 1 John, it says, if we confess our sins, that's a present tense, that's an ongoing thing, a continuous thing. If we, if we continually confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, wait a minute. This would be, this would be a good uh, Bible school quiz. Before you can graduate, reconcile those two concepts. Right. Gets, even, gets even more complicated in the Lord's Prayer. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Okay, so here he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. End of prayer. And now he's going to comment on this forgiving people. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How does that work? I thought we were justified and all our sins were forgiven. But here he says, if I don't forgive, he's not going to forgive me. Bless you. Um, well, here's the answer. Justification is an unchanging legal status. Once you have it, it's a legal status you have. With you, you have your papers. You're justified. Okay? Confession is not talking about justification. It's talking about your real relationship between a child and their heavenly father. So, so think about this. I, I think a good analogy is adoption. When a child is adopted, there's all the legal paperwork that needs to be done, and once they are adopted, they have a new legal status. You don't, you, you don't dangle the child over uh, losing their, their, their adoptedness. You better get all straight A's, Johnny, or it's back to the orphanage. You don't do that. A little parenting advice, right? Practical parenting advice, okay? But those of you who are adopted or have adopted children, has there ever been some relational tension with that child? You're like, no, they're perfect little angels. <laughs> there's relational tension. And sometimes there's discipline, right? And sometimes they have to come to you and say, I'm sorry, Mommy. And you forgive them. You're not, they didn't lose their adoption, but there's broken relationship. And I think what, what, what this is saying is you're in a relationship with God. And when you are hard-hearted and don't confess your sins and don't forgive others who have sinned against you, there's a relational riff between you and your father. I, I, I may have shared this before, but... Um, every day I go for a run or a walk. If I'm really tired, I'll walk. But usually I run, and then I walk back, and that's when I pray. I pray for you. I pray for the country. I pray for my family. And there are times when I'll go to pray, and it's like God is doing this. Mm -mm. Not listening. I'm not hearing a word you say. I'm not listening. Have you ever had that? So then you go, all right, what's the bear? Oh, the way I treated my wife, he wants me to go make that right. I've come home a few times and had to. Yeah, believe it or not, pastors and wives do have little arguments every now and then. Yeah, 
and she's probably right, I'd say about 87% of the time, right? Is that 95? What? <laughs> so I get beat up twice, once by God out on my walk and once by God, no. Um, but, but I think that that's what this is talking about, that, that we are in a living relationship with God. And he loves us enough to not let us be brats. So he says, you, you need to confess, not to get saved, but to clear up the relationship. And he'll, he'll forgive you. So here's, here's my application point. When's the last time you actually confessed your sins to God? Now... <laughs> Some of you are just in a constant state of confession. You need to hear about justification. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you need to hear that your legal status before God is perfection, and you can stand on that. In fact, that's what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is rather than getting, you know, I think of Rocky, you know, for the first 14 rounds, Rocky just gets beat up, and then finally he's like, oh, put your, put your, <laughs> you, you can fight back, right? You, you can fight Satan back with all these accusations by saying, listen, yeah, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. But Jesus died for me. I trust in him. And he promises me that when I trust in him, I am justified. And I'm standing on that. Now, get behind me, Satan. That's how you do spiritual warfare. But other people, so some people are in a constant state of, oh, I'm miserable, I'm horrible, I'm... Grow up, right? Others, last time you confessed your sins was in third grade. Right? And you wonder, I wonder why my relationship with God just seems to be so blah. Now, the great news is, when we confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know what? Some of you can walk out of here today just free. How? Confess your sins. In fact, you know what? Let's, let's just take a moment. Would you bow your heads right now? Now, don't go digging deep for imaginary sins. But confess your sins to God and ask him to forgive you. Lord, we, we take these sins and we, we confess we are sinners. And we ask that you would forgive us based not on our performance, but on what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would free us up and remove any barrier that there is between us and you so we walk in the full freedom that we can have in Christ. Amen. Now, don't get ahead of me. That's not the end of the sermon. All right, so that's the, that's the second lesson about foot washing. And look, I'm going to skip a bunch of, bunch of scripture there. Look at that, okay? Last thing. Servanthood is needed for discipleship, okay? So Jesus is going to go on and say, now, if I have washed 
your feet. That's an example. You wash one another's feet. Okay? And did you notice how John sets this up? He doesn't just say Jesus washed their feet. Look what he says in verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus is king of kings and lord of the universe. All, he's the most authoritative, powerful man on the planet. Not the planet, the universe. So Jesus knows this. And that he had come from God and was going back to God. Rose from supper. And washed their dirty feet. There's a, there's a huge contrast between his awesome power and this degrading act of service. And his point is, if our Lord, God, is willing to do this, we should be willing to humble ourselves and serve one another. He just says it. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? They're all going, they're, you know, their mouths are wide open. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought, uh, also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, it's interesting, the whole, the whole world of sacraments. In the Catholic Church, there's seven sacraments. And the Protestant reformers came along, and they said, you got too many sacraments. There's really only two sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Okay, so there's a debate over sacraments. And what's a, what's a sacrament, or Baptists like to call it an ordinance? It's something, a, a ritual that Jesus has commanded us to regularly do to remember him. Lord's Supper, we remember his death. Baptism uh, re reminds us of, of you know, our un union into his death and resurrection and our cleansing. Okay? Do you know that there's a debate in some churches about whether foot washing should be a regular sacrament? Because Jesus says, do this. Okay? So, um, I don't think it is. In fact, there, I heard of one church that practiced sacramental foot washing every Sunday. And you know what ended up happening? You know, if you knew that you had to take off your shoes and socks every Sunday, what would you do before you came to church? You'd wash your feet, wouldn't you? It became the church of clean feet. And some would get pedicures and, you know. <laughs> um, so, I, and, and it could be where, well, let's do communion, let's do baptism, let's get the foot washing over, and then you don't actually do what's intended behind the foot washing, actually serve one another. So, now, I don't think it's bad if, if you know what, might be a good thing to do occasionally to wash one another's feet. Have you ever been in a wedding where the bride and the groom wash one another's feet? No, I was, I was in one. Was it an outdoor wedding? 
A big porcupine ran across the field and Grandpa Roy ran after it with a machete. It was an interesting wedding. <laughs> so, I don't think Jesus is saying, do the ritual of foot washing. I think what he's saying is, if I, the most powerful being in the universe, can do this, and if you are my disciple, now, wash one another's feet. So I tried to find an illustration of a powerful person um, who humbled themselves. So this is, this is not a political statement, okay? But um, you remember a guy named Ronald Reagan? Kids are going, oh, yeah, was he back with Washington? This <laughs> so is Washington, Lincoln, and Reagan, right? So in 1981, Reagan, there was an assassination attempt, and a bullet went right next to his heart. And he was rushed to the hospital, and they, they removed the bullet, and he was recovering, and one day, one of his aides comes into the room, and there's Ronald Reagan down on the ground on his hands and knees wiping up some water. And uh, the aide goes, President, you know, remember this guy's the most powerful man in the world, right? What are you doing? And he said, oh, the nurse knocked some water over, and I don't want her to get in trouble. If Jesus washes dirty feet, our response as disciples should be, how can I serve my brother, my sister? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you not only did the grand, agonizing service of dying on the cross, but you also did a mealtime service where you washed feet. You're a humble God. You're an awesome, holy, powerful God, but you're a humble God who's not ashamed to serve by washing feet. And now, Lord, I, I pray by your Holy Spirit that we, not out of guilt, not out of trying to earn anything, but just out of wanting to be your disciples, would put that into practice as we serve one another. Lord, I pray you would bring to mind even right now some ways we can wash the feet of one another. Lord, as we have Thanksgiving gatherings and family gatherings coming, I pray that you would show us how to serve our families. Lord, at, at work, with fellow workers, not only those above us, but those who may be under us, show us how we can wash their feet. And may people know that we're your disciples because of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.